Okay, so today's topic, I hope, will be um, what's called Dalit Rabasi. <coughs> Excuse me, Dalit Rabasi, the big Dalit. So the, in the Pasuk of Shema Yisrael Hashem, Okeinu Hashem Echad, the Ayin is big and the Dalit is big. Um, and today's topic is particularly the Dalit. Not sure we'll do it all in one day because it opens up kind of some of the ideas we've been talking about in a bigger way, which is what it's for and why it's bigger. It's actually a good visualization for it, for this Sforno that I'm going to say, which I don't pretend to understand, um, but segues us, which is if you imagine that Dalit, right? A Dalit, it starts at this joint corner and then it spreads out in its two directions. So really you could think of it as opening up an idea of of the dal of dalitness, right? It it opens up that idea of Hashem in all, all space and all in the world. So Sforno says like this about Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. He says Shema Yisrael, listen Yisrael. In other words, hisponim v'havinze. Think about it and understand it. Work on it. Contemplate it. When we say to our when we say we're not saying to ourselves when we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. There's an aspect to which Shema Yisrael is directed to us as Yisrael. Mm-hmm. So listen, like stop and think about the following thing. Hashem lo'kenu Hashem echad. Hashem, who is hanosei metzios kol hanevra, who gives uh, life, experience, existence to all that is created, because Hashem is yud and hey and vav and hey. One aspect of that name is that Hashem created everything with love. He's the creator. That Hashem who, gave, who gives existence to everything that is created, Elokeinu, is our Lord. He, in other words, he's also different from everything that he has created. Because he's the creator and we're the created. And because he is so much beyond anything or anyone created, he's the one that we should turn to. And not only should we turn to him, but we should realize that because he created everything, we want to turn to him directly, that there should be no intermediaries between us, that that would be, even were there such a thing as having an intermediary, which there isn't, but there are certainly the forces that he sends to act upon us, right? They can't actually intercede on our behalf in the other direction. But the forces that he sends to intercede on our behalf, uh, to, not really this headache, they can't intercede. The forces that impact upon us from him, we would never wish to turn to them because they don't create their own existence. They don't have any inherent power of their own. And so we want to turn to the one who has the power. Hashem Elokeinu. He's Elokim, he's the the greatest of all the forces, and he's our Hashem. He relates to us directly, and we wouldn't wish to have any anybody interfering in that relationship. And Hashem Echad. So I don't understand what this Farna says by Hashem Echad. Probably didn't understand any of what he said before that either, but sort of not, not perfectly typical of Sfarno, he gives an answer that's actually pretty Kabbalistic. Um... It's more than pretty Kabbalistic. <laughs> um, 
maybe I'll just jump to the end of it. He describes the Dalid of Hashem Echad and the number four as referring to the fourth stage of worlds. So I don't know, have you seen the four row chart? We do everything based off these four row charts. Okay, so let me find, I, I almost always have spares just because we use them. Oh yeah, this is on the stack. So it'll take one second, and I'll just explain the basic way this thing works. It, it, it's expanded, meaning when we start off, when we started off the shear, we just had like two columns, and then we keep adding more. The rows stay the same, but we can constantly add more columns. And I gotta tell you, the more years I'm like working with this material, the more columns you realize there are, and you yourself like will see you'll be learning something and you'll realize, oh my goodness, it fits the four row pattern. Okay, so what's the four row pattern? It's really four worlds. It's the concept that the, the world could be described, the universe is described as four layers. They're called olamos. Uh, probably the word world is the wrong thing because it's just like planets. We're not talking about separate planets. We're talking about degrees of reality or levels of reality and of creation. So if we look at, let's start at the top, let's say, and I'm going to work with the left column, okay? It's called Olam HaAtzilus, the highest level of the world. Atzilut means nearness, like Eitzel, next to. It can, it can mean other things also, very, very refined, or, but it, its essence is the nearness, meaning that which is adjacent. We can't, uh, there's Hashem, who is one and only, but when we're talking about the world, which is now, right, the Kabbalists talk about Tzimtzum Hashem somehow drew back his completeness to allow for the existence of that which is incomplete in this space called the universe. That's called Atzilus at the first level. So his will is expressed perhaps in his word, like Vayomer Elohim Yehior, right? Let there be light. Vayhior, and then there was light. So there's this moment of expression of his will his will is his will. The timer changed. This is the second time. Just in seven Usually that doesn't happen more than once. Mm-hmm. This year. Um, but the, that first expression of Hashem's will, so this is Olam HaAtzilus. That then, it, these kind of are like, um, have you ever seen these things where they stack champagne glasses one inside the other? So if you imagine four champagne glasses stacked one inside the other, and now someone pours from the bottle into the top. It fills up, and then it will spill over down into the next mm-hmm. one. And then that will fill up and spill over down to the next one. This is how we can imagine these worlds, okay? This is the, it's the pipeline of the flow of Hashem's hashba, of his influence, meaning he sends his chesed, turns into the reality that we see. When we say, olam chesed yibaneh, the world is built of chesed, Hashem's chesed, Hashem's giving and love is what creates this world. And the channel, we don't necessarily understand exactly what these things are, but this is the description so far of what we have, is that it begins with this, at the stage of Atzilus, there's his will. That then sort of spills down into Bria, Olam HaBria, the world of Bria. Bria is creation. So now something has a reality that it, that it is, because Hashem is creating it. It goes from, it's his will, so now it exists, at least in a potential state. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that then 
trickles down to Yitzira, Olam HaYitzira. Yitzira is formation, the shaping of something, giving it a firm shape. So Tsar is like when something is narrow because it's blocked in by walls. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Atsur is a rock, right? It's something that has a very firm shape. It's an unchangeable shape. So whereas at Bria, something may still be in a sort of a fluid material, but it's the beginning of materialization. But it may not be absolutely determined what shape it will take. Well, it may be predetermined, but not actually having happened yet. At the stage of Yitzira, now it takes shape, and at, Yitz- at Asiya, it becomes fully materialized in the world that we experience with our goof. Now, a pers- what happens here with the rose is that Different things are functioning at these different places. So I'm just looking for here an example. We don't have here. Okay, so we're... Hmm. The shachris, davening, is meant to actually take us through these different levels of the world so that we are connecting. This goes back, we had like a, a lot of introduction on this topic. But we are functioning at the level of the Avodah and the Beis HaMikdash, which is the Beis HaMikdash is a place where heaven and earth meet, mm-hmm. which is a way of saying that Hashem's Hashpa into the world enters through there. Right? The idea that the world was created at the Evan HaShasiyah and then pulled out. Mm-hmm. And the, that it's all coming through this pipeline, through this opening, and then spreading out into the rest of the world. To reach that space there's a process. So there's one column here called Zones of the Beis HaMikdash. Hey, Rav Schwab talks about this in great detail and very accessibly. So if you look at the Zones of the Beis HaMikdash, that would be the Kodesh HaKadoshim, which is a physical space, and yet it isn't truly totally physical. Like We know that things in there did not necessarily have limitations of size. right? You have more fitting in that Kodesh HaKadoshim than actually can fit, according to the exterior dimensions. There's more inside than outside. That that is not crazy. The more you know about that correlation, meaning since that corresponds to Olam Atzilus, it's a sort of a border space between the spiritual now turning in toward the physical. So the limitations of the physical do not really apply over there. And then move down towards the Heichal, which is like where the Shulchan and the Menorah and the Mizbeach of the Ketoros are, from there to the Azar, from there to Harabais. Now we coming from the physical world, move in the opposite direction. We go four, three, two, and one. And in the avoda in the morning, what we're meant to do is go four, three, two, one, and then two, three, four. Walk back out. Because the whole point is to come in, get in touch with this spirituality, and at the, so that elevates the physical, and then bring that elevation back out into the rest of what we do for the day. We're not meant to just walk in and stay there. Every day isn't Yom Kippur. So you step back out and you come back to this level of Har Habayis. So everything corresponds to that. So with the going in part of tefillah is the section of brachos, which is in the olam ha'asiyah, and therefore our focus is the noticing of everything that is physical, that is in the asiyah, that is done by God, and recognizing it, being grateful for it, and that gratitude is also realizing it's given to me to use and dedicate to him. This is called uh, from your hand is everything, from your hand we give to you. Right? So Hashem gives to us and we give to Him. 
from there, we move into the Azara, which is the Psuke de Zimra, which is the level of singing Hashem's praise. So it becomes a level that's, that's a less physicalized. That would correspond to our emotions, not just our body, but our emotional life. That's also part of our physicality, our mood, our feelings. Our, all of that is really part of our physical self, but it's a more spiritualized aspect of our physical self. So sometimes people are very loose with these terms, right? They tell kids, your feelings, that's where your neshama is. And you're like, well, I don't know that that's a bad thing. Like, you have to say something, but it's not necessarily perfectly accurate, which makes me nervous, because in Chinuch, you don't have to say everything. Maybe you don't know everything, but what you say should be true. Mm-hmm. The next level up is where we're holding, which is Kriyashma. Oh, so the level, physically speaking, the level of Yitzira are these forces Right, that they actually shape people and nations. Because that's the Yitzira, the shaping. Okay, so the things that shape us are moods, hormones, right? Things, uh, physical um, sicknesses, climate, right? Is it raining? Is there a blizzard? Is there a tsunami? These things have a very strong impact on the individual and on nations the wind and water and how they flow and the mountains and the shape they take, earthquakes, these are all intertwined. The physical forces and the shape that the earth takes all is intertwined with the shape that individuals and nations take because of those same forces. Okay, That's also the level of mazel. These are the forces that shape how, how the bracha comes to us and therefore shapes the direction that we take. Up at the level of Bria, which is where we're holding in Kriya Shema. This is the level of the intellect, and we're over that dark line. So we move into the world of that which is supernatural. So being able to choose, to use Bechira, to use your head, to say, I'm going to direct what those feelings and body below me. It moves you into the realm of the spiritual and the truly supernatural. Um, that's the level of the Malachim. So a malach is a divine emanation of force. Hashem sends forth a force to accomplish something in the world. That's the simplest definition of a malach. Which is why when we are the one who does it, when Hashem says, my will is such and such, and we perform his will, right? we call it doing a mitzvah. And then when you're little, one of those accurate things that they say, right? and then a malach is created, and they're dancing, and they're clapping. That's true. <laughs> you, in fact, then generate the malach, because you become the one who is then setting forth the force of God's will. Okay? And then finally into Shemona Esrei, where we enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Um, this, this set of rows does not yet have the stepping out order, even though it exists. Okay, so the Sforno hints to this. Uh, he doesn't hint to it. He says it straight out, actually. He, he references this. And in that, what he calls the fourth level of the world, <clears throat> in this case, he means the top level, what, what I number as one. I used to have him go the opposite. I used to say one, two, three, four, the op- other way, because I was going in order of davening. And I realized it's not really so nice that way. It doesn't make sense to do it that way in terms of like the num- numbering. So I switched it in the next series. Um, he says the fourth world. Mm-hmm. By that, that would correspond to our number one over here. Okay, that Hashem is Yachid Be'olamu Haravi'i. He is one and only alone in his fourth world there. There's no... We're at the level right now 
what well, our level two, right? This is the level of Krishna when we achieve it at a, at a a very good level. I don't want to say perfect, at a very good level, it becomes very intimate. It's just me and Hashem. It's this awareness of me and who I am and my mission and a full dedication of that to Him. A total giving over of that to him, that whatever is his will, that's my will. But there's still a sense of meanness there. <clears throat> there's an ego there. Not ego in a bad way, just a sense of me as an identity. That there's me and there's him, and that we're not one and the same. At the level of, of Shmona Esrei, even that boundary starts to blur away kind of, that's Kodesh HaKadoshim material, and that blurs away. But at the level of, of that fourth world, ultimately, there's only Hashem, and Hashem is Echad. He is one and only, really, in the universe. And everything else is a spilling out of this creative force that he's creating us with. So the Dalit is big because the fact that Hashem is Echad is big. And the letter Ayin is big, says the Svarno, of Shema, to tell you, look at it, Lifkoach Ayin, like, open your eyes. Lahagdil Ha'ayin Bazet, like, <laughs> open your eyes big. This is a big thing. So the Ayin says, pay attention, the same way the Shema Yisrael says, listen. The Ayin of it says, look. All of it, it's like, pay attention. And then the Dalit is big to remind you that in that Dalitness, there's really only one. It all comes to, from this one point. The four worlds are all spreading out from one single point. And it's Hashem. Hashem is the one single point, really. There's only Him. Okay. So, like I said, I don't really understand this far now. It's a good thing we've seen the concept of four worlds before. Because otherwise, it wouldn't just not understand. I'd be like, I don't know what the topic is. Like, at least I have a concept of what his topic is, even if I don't understand what he's saying. So the Svarno says, this is why Chazal told us, and this is something we mentioned, that you have to be sheya'arich, to extend the Dalit of Echad until you have thought about it. Until you have made Hashem king, right? Thought about Hashem's malchus over heavens and earth and in all four directions. Chazal said that because the Pasuk is calling to you and saying, listen, it's saying it with the words and it's saying it in the size of the letters. At every level, this Pasuk is saying to you, pay attention and think about the fact that Hashem is the creator and is one and only in the world. Therefore, Chazal said, you have to not finish the Pasuk, extend the Echot until you did it. It's, it's nice the way he says that. Like that's because that's what the Pasuk is telling you. Okay. So here's what Rav Schwab says. He says bringing different, he brings different ideas about this, the large eye and the large dollar. And particularly our focus today is the large dollar. He says, why is there a large dollar? So that you won't read it wrong. You won't read Acher. So I don't think today we're going to have a chance to get into that in great depth, but it's a, it's, I hope we will maybe next week. Mitz Hashem. Because you say, well, why why specifically here? And why specifically that shouldn't be misunderstood? Probably there's lots of other things like that. But so you shouldn't read it as a resh. 
what would be a resh? It would be a cher, a, a different one, like another. Okay, so that that it's such a fundamental opposite meaning. Therefore, the dalit is big, so that you should notice. Now, if you think about it, what is it that you're noticing? If you want to notice the difference between a dalit and a resh, the difference is that the resh has a rounded corner. It doesn't have a corner; it's rounded, and the dalit has a corner. It's pointed. There's a different pasuk, right? Rav Schwab says this over here, but really Rav Hirsch um, built, says it in greater. He's just summarizing from there. There's a pasuk, Lo le'el acher. Do not bow down to any other god, any other force. Okay, so there it's acher, and the resh is large. So that you shouldn't think it was a dalad. We want to have it clear. We don't want to mix up our dalads and our reshes. So what Rav Hirsch says, he says it in Dvar, he says it also in the Siddur. Let's see, here's how he says it in the Siddur. In the word Echad, the letter Dalid stands out larger than the rest. To prevent its confusion with the letter Resh, which would make the word read not Echad, one, but Acher, another. Conversely, in Kilos Ishtachavel El Acher, the Resh and Acher is enlarged, so the word Acher, another, may not be erroneously read echad, one. So the resh then makes it be, it's like polytheistic. Anything other than believing that there is one and only God, the creator. The dalid is understanding and believing and being solid with the idea that Hashem is one. Okay. So he says the resh is pliantly rounded. It, it's given way. One way to think about it is where the resh is, the resh, you have two axes, right? You have a line that's vertical and you have a line that's horizontal, but the connection is rounded, which means there's a lot of gray area. There's all these parts to the resh where you have to say, okay, so is this horizontal or is this vertical? And the answer is, well, it's a little hard to say. There's a lack of clarity in a resh. And the dalid is sharp. And the hod is, you have your vertical and you have your horizontal, and that is it. There is no place where you have a question about what's what. So he calls that sharp. He says that's like a, it's sharp and it's clear. It's a sharply divined concept. And there is no other possibility. It's, it's binary. It's detail. It's attention to definition. Right? People sometimes will say like, why, why does it matter? I had this conversation on Shabbos. I was, I was away for Shabbos and visiting and... Um, there was somebody there, a very, very lovely woman. She's not Orthodox, and her kids became from. So she was, and she came out, she said, I was just like fixing my pin, and it bent. She had like, you know, pinned her, her suit top so that it would close better. And she said, you know, I, and we were having this long conversation. She explained to me that she dresses fundamentally modestly. It's not like, I mean, she's a grandmother, and she doesn't really wear things that are so, you know. She said, but I don't normally like, make sure that my collarbone is covered. But when I'm here visiting my kids, I know that that matters to them. Mm-hmm. And so I cover. And she's really nice about it. Like she never, she wasn't saying this in any way that was negative 
was more like, well, she doesn't quite do that herself, but she respects them, and so she tries to do it. So, like, you know, there is that part that says, like, so why does it matter? Like, isn't it modest even if the collarbone isn't exactly, like, does it? But that dalid is about definition. It is about being able to say, well, words matter. So what did the words say? What did Hashem say in the Torah? What did the Chachamim tell us in the Gemara? Let, let's find out. Like, if, is it the neck? Is it the, you know, is it the torso? So we, where does that start? At what point do we say your torso starts? Or at what point do we say your elbow starts? Or at what point do we say that your knee starts? Okay, so then that's what has to be covered. Because if it's uncovered, now the knee is uncovered. Does that mean you deserve the death penalty? Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe yes. Maybe not, right? Like, but the fact that the principles matter and that the principles, it's these four worlds, right? There's the concept, there's the word, there's the form that it takes, and then there's the enactment of it. The word does, in fact, define the reality. Mm-hmm. And so we do need to look at the words and understand a clear definition of the words to understand clearly what people go, if I only knew what Hashem wants me to do. Okay, so the first thing we do when we want to know what Hashem wants us to do is we go check if there's a halacha involved. Because that is what he told us already he wants us to do. And then we go from there. Sometimes there's more things that we need to discover and understand. That's fine, right? But that's always the first place. Okay, we're going to, Mertesham, come back to the idea of the Dalit and the Resh. But for the moment. Furthermore, Rav Schwab points out that the ayin is big and emphasized so that we'll read it as Shema and not Shema. Which means you also have to be careful how you say it. I think Abu Darham said that, right? Um, did he bring that as one of his examples? Not to say it as a segel. It shouldn't sound like Shema, which means perhaps. Because that would totally undermine the meaning of the verse. The ayin and the Dalit, of course, together spell testimony, witness. He says it beautifully. He says, the contents of Shema Yisrael are a testimony by Israel to Israel. Everybody who utters it stands forth thereby as a witness of God to himself and the world. All right. And the ayin, so the ayin of AIDS then is eyewitness. See it? Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad, and proclaim it. And the thing that we are proclaiming is that Hashem is Yachid and there is no Yachidus like him. When we say that a person is very smart or a genius, but there could be other people who are even more genius. There usually are. Okay? We say a person's rich, but there's other people. Hashem's oneness is complete. This idea of the Eidos that it spells the letter A, that it spells the word aid, and that you have to think about it mm-hmm. until you kind of grasp the concept, leads us to an inch. What I thought was like a kind of a new, a new understanding of this proclamation aspect of Shema, and and we're proclaiming to ourselves as well. 
Okay, so for this, I'm gonna work, I'm sorry, I don't have a copy of this. Do you like to look inside? We could look at it together, really. It's like a long piece to like read, you know? Okay. This is from Rav Schwab's Mayan Beis HaShoeva, which is, he has a, a wonderful safer. I know that at least some of it is in English, um, but it's a safer on Chumash. With really fantastic Divrei Torah and, and Chidushim. Okay, so he says in Masechah Shabbos, Amar Rav Yochanan Mishun Rabbi Elazar. Rav Yochanan said in the name of Rav Elazar, Eimu lahakadosh baruchu ba'olamo ela yira shamayim belvad. Hashem, the only thing Hashem has in this world is yira shamayim. It's an interesting statement. Okay, fear of heaven, awe of heaven. Shanamar v'ata Yisrael. As it says, and now Israel, what does God ask of you? But to fear him. Okay? So what is it that he has to gain from the world? Because he has everything. And God has everything. And it, certainly anything he would want. So what is it that the world has to offer him? Yerushalayim. What does Hashem ask of you? Fear. Vayomer la'adam, hein Hashem hechachma. It says in Eo, Hashem says to man, uh, awe of God, that is wisdom. And in fact, in Greek, okay, hain yiras Hashem, behold. Yiras Hashem is chachma. So the word hain means one. Hin is one, I guess. And I, it must be the root of like the actual word one in English, one and hin. You can actually kind of hear the connection, I assume. I, I never studied the etymology of the word one. But apparently in Greek, it was hin. And Rashi points out, Hein Yiras Hashem means one. That's the concept of Yiras Hashem in the world. Knowing that Hashem is Echad is the concept of Yiras Hashem in the world. So how do we understand this idea? We could say that about Chachma we know that So if the oneness is the Chachma uh, Yira Shemayim is a Chachma learned from oneness. Okay, so he says, what does that tell me? That Yira Shemayim is a Chachma learned from oneness. Because there's a different Pasuk, also in Eov, in the same parak of Eov, you can find Chachma, okay, the, the technical definition probably, Chachma Me'ayantimsa means where can you find Chachma? Literally, it means chachma from nothingness or non-existence. You shall find. Me'ayin is like notness. Okay. So on the one hand, there's a kind of chachma that's called yirushamayim, and you learn it from oneness. Chachma you learn from notness, from non-existence. So what what do these pull together for us that Eov is saying? So he says, we have to start with the fundamental. Everything is in the hands of heaven, with the exception of fear of heaven, awe of heaven. That is left to us. The, the, our choice to have awe of God. God only asks from us that. In other words, from the point of view of God and his creation of the world, so point of view of God, sorry, as with this headache. Stop me if I say anything that really doesn't make sense. <laughs> but from the point of view of God, 
and his creation of the world and his omnipotence and his omniscience, there's, he is everything and has everything. There's only one thing that's ayin from God's point of view, and that's Yerushalayim. Because that is not left Bidei Shemayim. That's his choice, but it's not left Bidei Shemayim. So the Be'er Hadvarim, the explanation of all these things is that God has no beginning, God has no end, God has no limits. And really, it's not possible for there to be any existence of anything or anyone beyond him. Because if God is infinite and unlimited, then there's nothing else. If something, you know, if you have water filling all space in the jar, there is no room for something else. There is nothing else. But God in his absolute power and ability to do anything, he restricted, as it were, his unlimited power. So he is limitless to the point where he is not even limited by his limitlessness. And he has chosen for his own reasons to limit his limitlessness, to go beyond his own limitlessness, so to speak, and virtsono, and at his own will, whatever his reasons are, nasa efes hamuchlat, but at his own will, if there is a lack of godliness to any extent in some place, this is one of the unthinkables, really, of the world, because how can you, ha- you can't have, this is a, beyond what is rational, okay? Then you have absolute nothingness. Efes that's complete nothing. In absence of godliness, there's nothing left, because there is nothing else. So from this place of ayin, nothing. Nothing exists. That's where everything in this world got created from. In other places, he brings out other incredible cure to depression. I mean, all that come out of this, where, what happens in a place where there's nothing? Mm-hmm. Okay. And his first revelation, from this absolute nothingness, is the revelation of his higher wisdom. And that is why the Pasuk told us, you want to know where wisdom is? It comes from that place of ayin. Because in that ayin, that is where the creation of the world happens, where he left space to create the world, something that is finite, something that has its imperfect and imperfections. And from there, this is, but this is also the revelation of his wisdom. These are of the deepest secrets of Torah. We don't really understand this at all. As Ben Sira told, in that which is too uh, beyond you, so don't try and understand it. Like, that which is covered from you, so don't dig it out. In what is permitted to you, that's what you should seek to understand. You have no business with that which is hidden. So then what? So then why, why tell us? A person in this world is created in the image of Hashem Yisbarach. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given a person an inner spark of godliness. 
he breathed into man an ashama that is a divine, some sort of divine portion of God. Which means that within a person, there is a, a dot of kol yachol, of absolute ability, omnipotence, could do anything. And this is the free will in a person. The free will of a person, if we think of the world as being created starting at God's will and moving down from there into the word, the formation, the deed. So in a person, that's the person's will. That is a person's absolute limitlessness inside of him. That's his free will. He can do whatever his heart desires without being stopped. Now, that doesn't mean he will be successful. But at the level of will, it is completely unfettered. And is within the hands of the person also, a person can also hold back his limitless possibility of just doing whatever it is that he wills. Just like God did to create a world. And he could be mevato himself and emulate God in this way. We can have the ability to do all and decide not to. And when a person is able to be mevatal himself, meaning to subsume himself within a greater existence, just like you could have something that's batal and ashishim, right? Better late than never. Better late than never. Come. Let's finish, because I know people are like stalking the room. You'll tell me after. I hope everything's okay. Miyad, immediately, when a person is able to restrict himself with his, with his free will, to give limit to his free will, he immediately merits revelation from the midst of this notness. It is from here that a person reaches and achieves awe of God's loftiness. And it is in this this space of his personal choice that he recognizes Makir, he's able to recognize and acknowledge that's the place from which a person can recognize that God fills all the world and there is actually none other than him this level, this madrega is called Yerushamayim and it is a direct result and outcome of ayin, of not of being able to say I can will it and despite that will, I can also will even more not. I can have a will to overcome my own will. And in this way, he emulates God and reveals within himself that, and he reveals that godliness to himself. So when the Pasuk says, And now Yisrael, what ma Hashem elokech hashal mimach? What is Hashem asking of you? The answer is, he's saying, I want you to recognize me. Ma Hashem What? Hashem is asking what? He's saying, ask about me. Discover me. Reveal me. You should do that by being what? Being able to say, ma'ani, what am I? What am I, after all? Right? I am afar ve'efer. I am, right? It doesn't mean I, I think I'm worthless. It's recognizing how very small I really am, how very great Hashem is. And in this, then we can realize that there is a God who is so high and develop your Shemayim, 
in a true sense. And since a person has absolute free will, he has naturally a desire. He has lots of desires and lots of different things. And he's got different yetzer, right? Yetzer, this is not our topic today, but yetzer is that yetzira, forces within you that try and push you and shape you into different directions, right? So he has yetzahar, he has yetzatov, he seeks to go against the word, of, it pushes him away from Hashem, towards Hashem. All of these things are the od. There's something on top. They're layered over his actual will. You know, you could have something that's your inner will, and then you can have all these, like, other desires kind of layered over it. A person feels that, that and, and that can give a person the sense that he has existence beyond Hashem. That's what we talk about, that sense of ego. Well, here's me, and here's God, right? And he wants something, and I want something different, okay? <laughs> and the Torah says, you should know that Hashem hu ha'elokim ain't owed. There is actually nothing beyond. There's nothing more. There's nothing in addition. So those feelings inside of us, this kind of mivatel, this being able to, to peel that away and realize that all of this stuff that feels like owed is actually, this is the creation from the nothingness. And the nothingness is an expression of God's completeness and wholeness and all power. It's this kind of like, it's kind of the world pouring it in and then unpacking it back out and trying to see where did I come from and how did this get here? And hey. So here, in this explanation, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying to us that you have to really be able to try and find the deepest strength of your own will inside of you and from that, discover that that is really Hashem's will. It's a, it's a piece, it's a reflection created of God's will. That's why it's free. And therefore, you then wish to subsume it back into God's will. It's this kind of, like, recognizing that inner truth of yourself. That blends you back in with godliness. Now, all of a sudden, you're not standing so separate. You start to merge yourself back into where you came from. Then the person recognizes that Hain, from the one, remember we said you recognize, there's godliness you learn from one, and there's the, somehow the wisdom you have to learn it from the Ephes, from the nothing. There's, from the nothingness, one sees also the oneness, and it comes from inside the self to realize there's this power of one inside, and that's also nothing, like, it's this kind of a back and forth, and this binary is what Rav Hirsch hinted to where you have the two directions on the Dalit and it's sharp. And it's not, there is not a fuzziness, but there is an intersection. If it gets fuzzy, you have the danger of a hair, of a resh. So there's, there's sort of this plane of zeroness and there's this plane of oneness and mathematically they certainly don't meet and conceptually they shouldn't meet and there's this place where they meet and, and that is within the person and their own free will. The place in the universe where zero and one meet is within free will. And you're almost like not, you can't be in zero and in one at the same time, but one can lead you to the other. But there is no fuzziness. It's all like kind of you, you get clarity and clarity and clarity and it gets clearer and clearer into the zero and clearer and clearer into the one and they flip you 
back and forth. And this is a, becomes an interplay of Yerushalayim and Avas Hashem. And Yerushalayim and Avas Hashem. It's a stepping forward, stepping back. Because Ava brings you close, Yura calls you to draw back. Right? This is the zero and the one. It pulls us back and forth and back and forth. But always closer to Hashem. And when a person can get to this kind of high level, I feel bad that I'm like almost rushing through this piece, but a lot of these topics we did spend time on in the past, in like weeks. Then it becomes clear, barur, that there actually is no space in your self and your will for any desire other than God's will. That he's not describing a command, he's describing a reality. When you get totally in touch with the idea of your wholeness and your oneness and your freedom to choose and how powerful that is and what an emulation of godliness that is. All the other stuff is really not important. All the other stuff you realize was just like window dressing. It's like part of the whole, okay, it's part of the scenario. But you, you reach beyond the first level of goof and you reach beyond the level of the emotions and you get to a level of pure thought, you can see those things for what they are. And we have moments like that where we have such clarity about what's important to us and in our lives, right? Sometimes it's triggered by a difficult situation. Somebody's sick and you suddenly realize like all the other stuff didn't matter. And sometimes it could be for good things, right? Somebody has a baby and you just realize like these are the things, right? Like the people, the, the relationships, these things matter. And the other stuff, a lot of it's just like really matter which car you ended up choosing at the least, right? Like, there's ain't owed. There really is. All this other stuff is not, it's not so real as the reality inside. So when a person is misbatel, the atzmios, the sort of self-centeredness, so that he finds his ayin, his nothing, then there's, you get to an ain't owed. You realize there is nothing other. And there is a huge increase in sense of self. It's they somehow go together. Okay, so we'll stop over here. We'll continue the idea of the large Dalit and Ritz Hashem next week. Um, and that will lead us, hopefully, together, those two pieces, to the legacy of Rabbi Akiva and that idea of Eidos, of aid, together. Thank you.